you guys, <laughs> you guys see what I have to deal with every single day and week? It may be like a funny video, but that is like a snapshot of my reality every day of every week. Well, Merry Christmas. Before we dive into our Advent series that's not about inventors or Advengers, those are not what we're talking about. Before we dive into our series, I wanted to update you on our Project One Refresh series and the results of all of our commitments. A few weeks ago, uh, many of you know that we concluded our Project One Refresh series that we called First. And in that series, we challenged our church to respond to the emergency with generosity, the emergency that there are people in our city, state, nation, world who don't know Jesus. And we said we want to bring our first and best to the Lord because as Paul would challenge the Corinthians with the faith of the Macedonians, he would say those Macedonian believers, they put the Lord in us first as God wanted them to do, that it was God's will. It's God's will for you and I to put the Lord in us, our community of faith, first. And so we said we want to bring our first and best to the Lord, recognizing that he is the owner of everything and we are just stewards of the money that he has given to us. Well, between all of our commitments and expected gifts, our updated number Last year's number, if you're here, you might remember it was $4.3 million over two years. Our updated number after this year is $4.76 million. It's approximately $400,000 in new and additional giving over just this next year. Here's what's incredible. This is 89 households committing to finish strong to their commitment that they made a year ago. That represents about 311 people in our church. It's 28 households committing to increase over this final 12 months of Project One. That represents about 98 people in our church. And then finally, this represents, this number represents 55 households that are going to be giving for the very first time, representing about 192 people in our church. Now, if you're here and you're like, oh man, I forgot to turn in my commitment, you can still do that online through our app. You can go to the Project One tab and still fill out a digital commitment form. Now, this week, you should have gotten a letter in the mail an email from us if you made a commitment to finish strong increase or, or to, to start a new commitment. You should have gotten an email, a letter that all of that starts this week. It's December 23 through December 24 over these next 12 months. And what God has done in and through our church in this season has been incredible. And so we want to now thank God for what he's doing in and through our church. We want to pray that God would help us follow through on these commitments. And we want to pray that God would help us to steward this money for his glory and for the fame of his son, Jesus. So let's pray and then we'll dive into today's message. God, we thank you for what you have done in and through our church with these commitments and through these commitments. And God, we pray that you would turn us into a people. God, that bring our first and best because we love you first and we love this community of faith. 
God, would you help us to follow through on these commitments over this next year? And would you help us to steward this money? It's your money for your glory and for the fame of your son, Jesus, among all the nations. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, when my kids were much younger, Nixon wasn't even born yet, the boys, Levi and Coben, were like toddlers. We were waiting in our car for Darby while she was shopping in Sephora. And we waited. And then we waited. And then we waited some more, right? And some of you guys are nodding your heads. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, we're, we're, we're waiting. Finally, Levi. Now, he's 16 now and talks like this, you know. But back then, he was a toddler and he had this, like, little chipmunk voice. And in his little chipmunk voice, Levi says, let's leave her. <laughs> and uh, I said, you know, buddy, I get it, but we can't do that. Mom would be really upset. And Levi goes, oh, yeah, she's a girl and she would cry all day. And yes, she would cry, but she would also be very upset and have some words for daddy, right? For, for leaving her there. Ladies, you, you know what this is like. It's probably the same thing when you want your husband to do something and he's watching a college football game or, or he goes to the bathroom, right? You're going to be waiting a long time, right? This past week over Thanksgiving, we were at North Park Mall in North Dallas and we were doing some Christmas shopping and Walking around that mall, I saw a lot of guys waiting on benches outside of the stores, you know, for their wives or daughters or whatever. Nixon and Darby went into this store called Zara. And can I just share with you, like, how much happened in those hours that they were in Zara? I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating, obviously, but there was a lot that happened. The, the boys and I walked around that entire mall a couple of times, right? And the time they were in this one store. Coben wasn't feeling too well. And uh, while we were walking down the concourse area, right, there's this person with a vape and they blew the smoke in Coben's face as we were walking by. Well, Coben wasn't feeling well. All of a sudden he jets down this hallway and around a corner and starts throwing up everywhere. All over that like marble floor or whatever it is. And it's kind of splattering everywhere all over him, all over his shoes. So he gets through throwing up. We go to the bathroom. We clean him up, uh, clean up his shoes, his shirt, all, all of this stuff. So we, we get him cleaned up. We go back to the scene of the crime. There's a custodian that's already cleaning up the, the throw up. We go to the, an, another store. Uh, a guy notices my Texas Tech hat. He went to Tech. We commiserate, you know, about the game the night before when Tech got blown out by Texas. We're, we're talking, you know, about, about, about the game. We go to a restaurant. We get a table. We sit down at the table. Coben spills a drink. We clean it up. The wait staff's helping us clean up. By the time we get it cleaned up and we have an appetizer come, Darby and Nixon finally at that moment come and sit down. They missed everything, right? They missed the whole show. So, so, so they sit down, we eat, and then Darby tells me, They've been to, to one store this whole time, Zara. She tells me she wants to go to a second store. It's Abercrombie because she wants to look at some jeans. And we're like, oh, oh so we're going to wait a lot more, all right? We're going we're gonna to continue to wait. Well, Christmas Advent commemorates the waiting for and the arrival of the Messiah, the Son of God, the King that was promised to reign on David's throne forever. The word advent itself means arrival, arrival or an appearing or coming into place. 
You see, Jesus didn't arrive without a wait. In fact, when Isaiah prophesies about a Messiah who is going to come, it's 700 years before the time of Christ. You see, the people of God have always been and will always be a people that wait. Waiting on Advent. It was the nation of Israel who was waiting for their Messiah in the first Advent. And it's the church made up of Jews and non-Jews, Gentiles, awaiting a second Advent when Christ will return as king with the fullness of his kingdom. The people of God are a people that wait. Many of you are waiting on a resolution, a diagnosis, a relationship, a breakthrough, a rescue. We're a people that wait. We've all experienced the agony of waiting. Our problem is the same as the reoccurring biblical problem. God's perceived slowness in arriving while we wait gives way to feelings of God's perceived absence. And viewed from this angle then, the entire story of the Bible can be read as this answer to a question most of us carry in our souls. Why does God feel so far away? Why does God feel absent? The beauty of the biblical story is this. The Bible not only acknowledges the soul ache, of waiting, of perceived absence, it provides an answer. And so whether we're considering the story of Adam and Eve, Mary and Joseph, your story, my story, the pattern remains the same. The scripture is screaming that God wants to be with his people, that God continually over and over and over again is drawing near to his people. We see it in the tabernacle, in fact, we, we, we see it in, in Genesis 1 before the tabernacle where God is walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, right? And we see it in the tabernacle, God tabernacling among his people. We see it with the temple. We see it in the Jesus who is the exact representation of the Father. He's the image of the invisible God, God in the flesh. We see, see it in Jesus. And now today we see it through the Holy Spirit, God with us. This is God's heart. It's to be with his people, to be in relationship with his people, to be close to his people. And in awaiting a second advent, we're, we're awaiting the fullness of his presence, the fullness of his nearness and his closeness when Christ returns in the fullness of his kingdom. The problem is it just doesn't always feel this way, right? And so in our Advent series this year, our prayer is that we will become a people that long for the God's presence, the, the presence of God, the way that God's people did in the scripture. And so our Advent series direction this year, the devos that we're using, the, the blocks, all of it's been put together by the team and authors at Goodkind. But we're going to learn how relevant God's presence is for our lives. It's God's presence that comforts us. It's God's presence that amazes us. It's God's presence that saves us. It's God's presence that fulfills us and satisfies us and strengthens us. And Christmas is one of God's clearest reminders that God intends to come and be with us, to live with us. Because his son's name, the Messiah's name would be Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is 
the heart of God. It's been his heart all along, and it continues to be the heart of God, to be with us. And so this Christmas, we're praying that you and your family would know this and believe this and even feel this because it's God's presence in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ that our hearts find peace and satisfaction. It's what we were created for. Colossians 1 says you were created to know Jesus. It's why you're here on this planet is to know Jesus. And so here's the, the big idea for this entire series. It's what we're created for and it's what our souls are longing for. Our souls are longing for presence, God's presence, not presence, gift wrap presence. And this is where you can follow along with the message notes in our app. If you don't have our app, download it in our app store. It's called the City Church Lubbock. If you have our app, go to message notes. And this is where you can follow along with us and fill in the blank with these words in all caps. This is the big idea for our series this year. Our souls are longing for presence. Christmas is the advent of presence. His presence, not the gift wrapped Present. And today, we're going to see that God promises to give what our souls are longing for. God actually promises to give his presence. And so in this series, we're going to see some of the backstory to the Christmas story, which is really a waiting story. So let's dive in. Genesis chapter 12. We're going to look at the story of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac today. And I want to remind you as you're turning there or opening our app now to the message notes that the psalmist in Psalm 19 said about the word of God. He said this, the word of God is perfect and it revives our souls. It's more desirable than gold. It's sweeter than honey. So I just want to challenge you with that in this moment so that you might lean in and engage in our time together, not sit back and watch as if this is theater, but lean in and engage and dive into God's word because the scriptures are perfect and they will revive your soul. They're more desirable than gold. They're sweeter than honey. And so if you, if you would dive in and engage with the scriptures, the, you, you would find something that's more desirable than gold and sweeter than honey. And it will revive you. So let's dive in. Genesis chapter 12, the story, the waiting story of Abraham and Sarah. Genesis 12, verse one. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. And then underline this, circle this, highlight this, if you're in you version, whatever. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. All the families on earth. All the nations, everyone that is to come, this is what God's telling Abram, everyone that will ever live on the face of this planet, Abram, they will be blessed through you. So, so, so we're gonna stop there. Here's what God is doing. God is choosing a man named Abram to form a people, a nation. It will become the nation of Israel, the people of Israel. And God will bless Abram and therefore the nation of Israel and through this people, through Abraham and through his descendants, which will become the nation of Israel, God says, I'm going to bless all the peoples on the earth, all the families on earth. Some translations say all the nations of the earth, Abraham. I'm going to bless through you and your people. Through this nation, I'm going to bless you. But 
The promise isn't in there. I'm going to bless you. Why? So that through you and through those blessings, all the families on earth will be blessed. God makes Abram a promise. And here's the first thing I want you to see in the story of Abram and Sarah. The promise has a purpose. Right? The, the, the promise doesn't end with Abram and Sarah. I, I'm not promising to bless you and make your name great and, make you fa- and, and give you all these descendants and give you this land eventually. I, I'm not promising to do that so that it will end with you, right? The promise has a purpose. I'm going to bless you so that through you, all the nations on earth will be blessed. We, we saw this in our first series, God's math, right? You remember? God adds to us so that there's a purpose there. He can multiply through us. It's the same principle here. God blesses in order that we might be a blessing. God blesses Abram in order that he might be a blessing. The promise has a purpose. Let's keep going. Genesis 15. So, so, so what's this purpose? We're seeing some glimpses of it, but, but, but what's the promise and, and, and what's the purpose? Genesis 15, verse one. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son, since you've given me no children? Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, is going to inherit all my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants is going to be my heir. And then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. Now, verse six, another verse to underline, to highlight, circle, whatever you've got. It's one of the most important verses in the entire Bible. And you've got to understand it. You've got to catch it. Paul's going to base most of the theology in Romans off of Genesis 15, verse 6. And Abram believed the Lord. Circle the word believe, highlight it, whatever. And the Lord counted him. There's another word. Credited to him. Maybe your translation says you got to catch that. You got to catch that. Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his, what's that word? One, two, three. Let's try it again. God counts him as righteous because of his one, two, three. Faith. Faith. You've got to catch this. This is the gospel in Genesis 15, verse six. This is God's way of making people right with himself. This is God's way. We, we come up with our own way, but God has a way of making people righteous. That's just a big Bible word that means right with God. God has a way of making people righteous, right with him. So Abram says to God, God, you, you've made this promise to me that through me, all the families on earth are going to be blessed, but How can you do what you're saying you're going to do? How can you make this promise, God, if I don't even have a son yet? 
And so I have this servant and, and, and he's going to inherit everything I've got because I don't have a son of my own. God says, you will have a son of your own. And through your son, the covenant, the, the, the promise will be fulfilled. Abraham believes God. He believes God for the impossible. He, he believes God, you got to catch this, for something he can't do for himself, right? It, we, we, with Abraham, this is impossible. Abraham can't do this. But Abraham believes God. He believes the promise of God. He trusts that God is going to come through and do for him what he cannot do for himself. And in this story, we find the basics of the gospel. That the only way a person can be saved and made right with God, made righteous, is not by their own works or merit, that which they could do for themselves. The only way someone could be made right with God is if God does for a person what they cannot do for themselves. You see, God's way of making people righteous, right with him, is by faith that God will do for them what they cannot do for themselves. You see, Abraham, like every single one of us in the room, are in a righteousness debt, if you will, to God. You've fallen short of God's standard to have a relationship with him and to go to heaven when you die. God's standard is absolute perfection, righteous. That's what it takes to be right with God. Abraham was not a righteous man. He did not have a righteousness for himself before God that made him right with God. No, his sin separated him from God. That's why in Genesis 15, verse 6, it says that by faith, Abraham is counted as righteous. Some translations say he's credited with righteousness. It's not a righteousness of his own because he's in debt to God. He's not a righteous man, just like you and I are not righteous people. He has a righteousness debt before God. And so because Abraham believes God, God counts him as righteous. God gives him righteousness. Okay, the old biblical kind of religious word was imputed righteousness. That the only way you can be saved and made right with God, righteous, is if God imputes righteousness to you, gives it to you, gives you a righteous standing before him because you could never earn it on your own. You could never do better or try harder your way into pleasing God or being righteous before God. And so the only way you could ever be right with God is if God does something for you in counting you as righteous and crediting you with righteousness that you could never earn for yourself. Okay, Paul talks about this in Romans 11. And he says, Israel, they, they got it all wrong. They didn't understand. This is why you got to catch this. Paul says, Israel did not understand God's way of making people right with himself. That's why you, you and I got to understand it. You got to catch this. Paul says, the Israel, they didn't understand, Romans 11, God's way of making people right with themselves. And so here's what they did. They sought to establish their own righteous standing before God. In other words, here's what Paul is saying. They didn't understand God's way of becoming right with him, so they, they tried to be 
better people. They tried to be more religious. They, 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 they tried to check the boxes and, and, and do all the religious things and keep all the religious rules, right? right? They, they sought to, Paul said, establish their own righteous standing before God by doing better and, and trying harder and by being more religious and by doing more of the good things and, and, and less of the bad things. And, and Paul says, in seeking to establish their own righteous standing before God, doing better and trying harder, they missed it. They missed it completely. Paul said in Romans, that's not God's way of making people right with himself. This is God's way. Genesis 15, verse 6. This is the gospel. You believe that God sent his son Jesus to die for you in your place for your sin that three days later he rose from the grave, conquering your sin, conquering death, doing for you what you could never do for yourself, just, just like Abraham trusted God for, right? And that by believing, just like Genesis 15, verse six, it says in Romans three, when you believe that Jesus sacrificed his life for you and shed his blood for you and rose again for you, when you believe at that moment, you are made right with God. God credits you with righteousness that you did not earn. He counts you as righteous. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. You, you didn't deserve it. But by faith in the son of God who died for you and rose again. Gosh, it's incredible news. It's the grace and mercy of God to give you what you did not earn, what you did not work for, what you don't deserve. He credits you with righteousness. He counts you as righteous. This is God's way of saving people. It's God's way of making people right with him. Paul says in Romans 11, Israel didn't understand it. My prayer is that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you, you understand it, you get it. And maybe today, even for the first time, you would abandon all hope in establishing your own righteous standing before God and trying to do better and, and be better and, and, and try harder and hoping that maybe your good deeds will outweigh your, outweigh your bad deeds and somehow make you... No, abandon all hope in that and put all of your hope, like Abram did, all of your hope in God's way of salvation. And God will do for you what you can't do for yourself. He will save you and make you right with him. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done for you. One of the most important verses in all of the scripture. And maybe today there's a light bulb going on in your heart and your mind. That's God through his spirit awakening faith in you for the very first time. And if that's you, grab that connect card in the seat back in front of you. Fill it out. Check that box. It says you're giving your life to Jesus today because good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. And you're only forgiven of your sin when you give your life to Jesus. And so if that's you, fill out that card. Check that box. Take it to our welcome center in the lobby. We've got a team there that wants to pray with you and celebrate that decision with you. Let's keep going. Genesis chapter 16. Abram gets it, he understands that he's got to believe God to do the impossible. And so we see this moment in Genesis 15, verse six of, of, of faith, right? Well, Abraham is just like me and you. 
There's some moments of great faithfulness and then moments of great unfaithfulness, right? Well, in Genesis 16, Abram thinks he needs to help out God with his promise, right? God's not fulfilling his promise in Abraham's timing. So Abraham and Sarah come up with this plan for Abraham to sleep with his servant. And he gives birth to a son. His name is Ishmael. Well, in Genesis chapter 17, God, by sheer grace and mercy, says, Abraham, no, it's through Sarah that this child is going to come. God is faithful and remains faithful even when Abram is unfaithful over and over and over. Again, the promise keeper keeps his promises to promise breakers. Isn't that great news? Because I don't know about you, but I'm a promise breaker. And so are you. And the great news of the gospel is that the promise keeper keeps his promises to promise breakers like you and like me, like Abram. So Genesis 17, God says, no, it's, it's gonna be through Sarah. God's gonna remain faithful even when Abram's been unfaithful. Genesis 17, verse 17. Then Abram bowed down to the ground. Why? Because God has remained faithful even when he's been unfaithful, right? God has become, is a promise keeper to a promise breaker like him, like me, like you. And so Abram bows down to the ground. He laughs to himself in disbelief. How can I become a father at the age of 100, he thought. And how can Sarah have a baby when she's 90 years old? And so Abraham said to God, may Ishmael live under your special blessing. But God replied, no, Sarah, your wife, She's gonna give birth to a son for you. Her, you will name him Isaac and I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. Abram says to the Lord, basically, your, your promise seems impossible, God. That, that's why we tried to you know, help you out with your promise because your, your promise is a little bit impossible. Like there's no way that can happen. Like our our. Our stuff, if you will, doesn't work like that anymore, you know? I'm 100, she's 90. It's just not happening, okay? All right? And, and so Abram's like, you, surely you mean through Ishmael this is gonna happen, right? And God's like, no, it's not gonna be through Ishmael. And God says this, no, it's gonna come through Sarah. And I, I love this, and he said, God says this in 19, no, Sarah, you know, your wife, like the one that you covenanted before God, where, where two became one, right? Abram, you know, remember you're married, you're, you're, your wife that you promised you covenanted before me and with her to remain faithful to her. Remember your, your wife? The promise is going to come through her. And this child, Isaac, and God says the promise, the covenant is going to be confirmed with Isaac. Now hold on to that for later, but God says it's going to have this promise, this covenant that God has made with him, it's going to take place through Isaac. And God names him and says, it's him. It's through Isaac that this promise, this covenant will be confirmed. Genesis 18 
verse 9. Where is Sarah, your wife, the visitors asked. So some time has passed, and the Bible says in Genesis 18 that these visitors come down from heaven to speak with Abraham. Well, many scholars believe that one of these visitors is the pre-incarnate Jesus. You know, sometimes you hear, and maybe you've been tempted to think like, oh, I read the Old Testament, and there's this kind of this, you know, this angry, very religious God, and then I, I get to the New Testament, and I read about Jesus, and like how loving and merciful and like kind he is, and it's, it, it's like it's two different gods. No, 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 no. No. Jesus is God. Everything that we read in the Old Testament, it's all Jesus. It's all Jesus. In fact, John would say Jesus is the word of God. It's this Greek word logos that means this tangible expression of who God is. And so oftentimes throughout the Old Testament, we, we see the presence of this pre-incarnate Jesus, sometimes called the angel of the Lord, not, not an angel of the Lord, but maybe the angel of the Lord. Or here in Genesis 18, where one of these visitors uh, speaks as if he is God himself. And so here in Genesis 18, I, I, I believe along with many scholars that Abram is talking with Jesus here, a pre-incarnate Jesus. Genesis 18, verse 9. Where's Sarah, your wife, the visitors asked. She's inside the tent, Abraham replied. And then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. Verse 11. Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time. I love how Moses uh, puts this just to exacerbate the situation, right? They're, they're very old, right? They're very old. And Sarah was long past the age of having children. Verse 12. So she laughed silently to herself and said, how could a worn out woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially my master, my husband, and also, and I love what she says, he's so old, right? I'm old, okay, but he is so old, okay? He is so, so old. Verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abraham, hey, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she denied it, denied that she laughed. She said, I didn't laugh, but the Lord said, no, you laughed, right? You, you ever said something that you were serious about, but, but others laughed because they didn't think you were serious? You know, parents, this, this happens all the time, right? You, you say something and your kids laugh and you're like, that's cute that you're laughing, but I wasn't joking, right? I was, <laughs> I was, I was being serious. Like Sarah laughs at what God says. And I, I love how the scriptures tell us that God basically says, to, why are you, what are you laughing about? I'm not joking, right? No, I, I, this, isn't a, this isn't a joke. Like I'm being serious, God says, why, why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? And Sarah, in her fear, lies to God and says, I, I didn't laugh. And then I love, God's like, no, you laughed. You laughed, right? I, I, I heard it and I was serious. I wasn't joking. Genesis chapter 21, verse one. The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had. What's that word? 
promised. God kept his word and he did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant. She gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time that who said it would? God. It didn't happen in Abraham's timing, clearly, right? It didn't happen in Sarah's timing, right? They're, they're old. Sarah's like, I'm old, and he's really old, right? It didn't happen in our timing. It happened in God's timing. The second thing we, we learn from Abram and Sarah's story is that God keeps his promises. God is a promise keeper. He kept his miraculous promise to provide a son for Abraham and Sarah, despite their age, Sarah's infertility, even their own disobedience and unfaithfulness to God. Nothing can prevent God from keeping his promises. The promise keeper keeps his promises to promise breakers. The third thing that we learn from Abram and Sarah's story is that God is not slow He's patient. God is not slow in keeping his promises. The scripture's going to make it clear God is patient. And just like he did for Abraham and Sarah, God can turn your area of pain. Make no mistake, this is an area of pain for Abraham and Sarah to not have a child. In their day, it was the sign of a curse. Jesus would come along later and kind of fix that theology. But in their day, it was a sign of a curse. Just like he did for Abraham and Sarah, God can turn your area of pain into an occasion for his redemption and your ultimate joy. Let's keep going. Genesis chapter 22, because the, the story doesn't end there. It takes a weird and wild turn. And, and, and here's why it was important for us to remember that God promised Abraham and Sarah that the covenant, the promise would be confirmed through Isaac, like specifically Isaac, because now the story is going to take this weird, wild turn to reveal something eternally and significantly important. Genesis chapter 22, God's going to reveal something huge here. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. God says, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. Take your son, your one and only son, don't miss the picture here. Those words sound familiar? Take your son, your one and only son, a miracle baby, a miracle son. Take your son, your one and only son, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him, your son, your one and only son, that miracle son that you love so much. Take your son and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show to you. Wait a second, wait a second. God, you promised Abraham and Sarah that the promise, the covenant would be confirmed through, like specifically Isaac. 
So, so you kind of see what I mean. This, this story is now taking this weird and wild turn. God is telling Abraham to go and sacrifice his son of the promise, this, this son of the covenant. When God has specifically said, I'm confirming my covenant through Isaac. God is revealing something very important here about what he's ultimately doing and what ultimately will satisfy. Abraham and Sarah, that all of their hopes have been their, their entire life about having a child. And then God comes and promises them a child. And so now all of their hopes, right, are, are, are wrapped up in this present, this gift wrapped present, this tangible present. It's not a bad thing in and of itself, right? But, but what can happen when you make secondary things primary things? See, God's revealing something here about what he's ultimately doing and what's ultimately primary and therefore what will ultimately satisfy. That it's not the present that will ultimately satisfy. And, 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 and the present isn't the purpose of the promise necessarily. It's a part of the promise. The purpose will happen through this present. But the present isn't the ultimate. It's not even what's primary. You see, God's revealing something really important here. That, that it's not the present itself. The present has a purpose. And the purpose of the present is presence. God says, I'm going to bless all the families on earth through this present, through Isaac. Let's keep going. Genesis 22, verse 15. Abraham has been faithful to God. We don't have time to dive into all of this. We have before about why this wouldn't have been so shocking to Abraham, the Lord's request of him, like it might be to us. We don't have time for that right now. We, we've done that before. But Abraham goes up, he's about to plunge that knife into his son to offer him up as a sacrifice to God. God says, no, stop. God says, there's a ram caught in the thicket. And so catch this, another picture. God provides a sacrifice, a substitute sacrifice to die in Isaac's place so that Isaac might live. Sound familiar? A son, a one and only son offered up for sacrifice. A, a sacrifice that, that dies in Isaac's place so that Isaac might go free and live. See how God's working and, and, and moving even from the very beginning to bring about this great rescue plan in the gospel where he will offer up his one and only son who will die in our place for our sins so that we might go free, so that we might live. Genesis 22, verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abram from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear 
by my own name, that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies and through your descendants, here it is again, all the nations of the earth will be blessed all because you have obeyed me. The present has a purpose. Through Isaac, through the present, all the nations, all the families on earth, that's you and me, will be blessed because there's a birth coming of another miracle child, baby, boy that God's people will wait for for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Just like Abraham and Sarah waited for their miraculous baby boy through which all the families on earth would be blessed. The people of God will wait hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years for the birth of another miraculous baby boy through which all the nations on earth, that's you and me, will be blessed. You see, the, the birth of this miracle child in Isaac, it points forward to the promised one who is to come. It points forward to Jesus through whom God will fulfill his promise to be present with his people. He will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And now here's the difference in the story between Abraham and Sarah and the gospel of our God. God will not withhold his son. His one and only son. In fact, Isaiah 53 says it's the Lord's will to crush him, that he will die, he will suffer, that he's not only Isaac, he's also the ram that God will offer up as a sacrifice to die in our place for our sin so that God can be in relationship with his people, so that God can make a people right with him, so that he can be their God, so that he can be we, we can be his people so that we can be close to him. You see, the birth of this second miraculous baby in Jesus reveals that God comes to us to save us, to rescue us. It's the advent of presence. God with us because we can't get to him. We... We can't, get to, we can't go up to every religion on the face of this planet is seeking how they can get to God. The gospel says you can't get to him. You can't get to him. That's not God's way. God's way is coming to you. It's the advent of, it's the arrival of the presence of God. He comes to us because we cannot get to him. And so Advent is not just an Advent of presence, it's an Advent of rescue. It's the Advent of salvation. And so here's the fourth and final thing we learn about Abraham and Sarah's story, their waiting story. Is it the promise, the ultimate promise? The promise had a purpose, right? And the promise wasn't the present in and of itself. The, 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 the promise would be fulfilled through the present. The, the promise is ultimately his presence. The, the promise, 
it. You get Jesus. That's the promise. And that's why the story takes this wild turn. It's to show that the, the, the present isn't some gift wrap, tangible thing in this world, in this life. And there's nothing wrong with people and things in this world and in this life. But this story takes a wild turn to powerfully reveal that the promise is his presence. You get Jesus. It's the greatest present of all. You see, the present has a purpose. And the purpose of the present is presence. Abraham got this. He didn't always get it, but in Genesis 22, he got it. God says, because you obeyed, I'm confirming this covenant with you. Abraham got it, right? He, he valued the presence of God, his relationship with God, his faith in God, more than he valued that, that tangible wrapped present. And so because Abraham puts what's primary, primary, right? He, he, he makes first things, first things, and second things, second things. God blesses him. We've said this for years that when you make secondary things, primary things, it's always going to leave you feeling empty. But when you make primary things, primary things, you get to enjoy the secondary things too. And that's what Abraham did. He put his faith in God, his covenant with God, his relationship. He put that first. He valued the presence of God more than the, the, the present that God had given. He, he, he got it. It's like the psalmist says in Psalm 16, joy is found in your presence and eternal pleasure at your right hand. Joy is found in your presence. It's what our souls are longing for. It's the big idea for this series. Our souls are longing for his presence, not gift-wrapped presence. Joy is found in your presence. And so the people of God in our day that we find ourselves, we, we look back on the first Advent's promise of presence and, and, and we look back and we remember, but then as we look back and remember, we, we turn our eyes forward and we look forward with hope to the second Advent's promise of presence when the Advent of presence will come in its fullness with the second advent, when Christ our King returns with the fullness of his kingdom. And God will, in his fullness, finally, fully, be present, be with his people. So we look back, we, 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 we live between the advents, you and I do. We look back on the first advent and the hope that we found fulfilled in the first advent gives us the faith to wait and look forward to a second advent. And so much like the people of God, the nation of Israel, awaiting that first advent for hundreds and hundreds of years, many times unfaithfully waiting, we wait for the second advent. And while we wait, we, we experience pain, suffering, sin, sickness, death as we wait. It makes the waiting hard. We see in this story of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac that, that 
Jesus is the final proof that however slow God may appear, his slowness is not a sign of his absence, but of God's patience. The apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter three, when speaking of the Lord's return, the, the second advent, Peter says this, 2 Peter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slow. Remember what we said, God, God's not slow, he's patient. Peter says in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you. Why? Not wishing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. You see, I bet that every follower of Jesus in this room would say they are so glad that God was patient with them, right? Anybody else but me? Thankful that God has been patient with you? But, but, but it's so much more than that because he, he hadn't just been patient with you, he's been patient for you. Like, like here's what I mean. God delayed. This is what Peter's talking about in 2 second, in second Peter chapter 3 because the, the people of God are asking, when, when's Christ going to return? They're waiting, right, for the second advent. And Peter says, God's not slow. He, he's patient, not wanting anyone to perish. You see, God's been patient for you. He delayed sending his son in grace and with mercy so that you might come to a saving knowledge of his son before his son returns. You see what I mean? He's been patient for you. And my guess is, Christian, you are glad that God was patient for you and he didn't send his son Jesus to return before you gave your life to Jesus. Right? Peter says, you're waiting? We're all waiting. For some of us, that waiting is more painful than others. But Peter says, make no mistake. God is not slow. And he knows you're waiting. And he knows that waiting is often painful. But he's not slow. He's being patient. Why? He's just given more time for more people to repent of their sin and to give their life to Jesus so that they can know what you and I know. The great news of the gospel. God has been patient with you, but he's been patient for you. And Peter says, the second advent when Christ returns, make no mistake, it is coming. And after that day, it will be too late. But Peter says, God's not slow. He's being patient not wanting anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And this distinction between God being perceived to be slow and actually being patient, that this distinction gives us the ability to be patient too, waiting on him to fulfill his promises, waiting on that second advent. We're, we're a people that wait. And for some of us, God will act sooner than we imagine, healing an illness, reconciling a broken relationship, ending an addiction for others of us, God will ask us to wait until he returns. But for all of us, people of God, God's promise of restoration in Jesus is certain. And even though it seems slow, it will come. And this, this is what Advent is all about. I love what Pastor Rich Valadas said 
about Advent, he said this, the good news of Advent is not that we are faithful in our waiting, we often aren't. Abraham wasn't, Sarah wasn't, I'm not, you're not. He said, the good news is not that we are faithful in our waiting, we often aren't, but that God God is faithful in his coming. He will keep his promise and he will return because the promise keeper keeps his promises to promise breakers. Would you pray with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. The the good news of of Advent, just kind of a moment between you and God. The, The good news of Advent is good news to people who understand their deep need for a savior, their their deep need for a rescuer. It's great news to a people who've abandoned all hope in themselves and establishing their own righteous standing before God. And they've put all of their hope in a savior, a rescuer named Jesus. And maybe you're here today and today is your day. Now is your time to abandon all hope in your own righteous standing and trying to be good enough, doing better and trying harder and put all of your hope in Jesus, your rescuer, your savior, who came and died in your place for your sin and three days later rose from the grave, conquering your sin, conquering death. If you're here today and you're ready to give your life to Jesus, I wanna challenge you. Take out that connect card in the seat back in front of you. Fill it out. Check the box that says, I'm committing my life to Christ. And take that card to the Welcome Center in our lobby. We've got a team there that wants to celebrate that decision and pray with you. But for all of us, this, this past week on the traditional church calendar was the, the advent of hope. And I just want to ask you, what are you hoping in today? Are you hoping in a present, whatever that looks like for you? A, could be a person, a promotion, a bonus, a a raise, a position, a place? What what are you hoping in? Is it a present? Is it a secondary thing? Or is your hope in the presence of God? The great news is if your hope is in the presence of God, he's here right now through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's with us. God is with us right now in this place. And so cry out to him. God, we thank you that your spirit is with us right now and that our Emmanuel, God with us, is coming back. He's gonna return. And so we look back on the first advent and that gives us the faith and the the, the hope and the patience to look forward to a second advent where you will keep your promise and there will be no more sin, sickness, death. All of these things will be gone forever and the new the new will come in the fullness of your kingdom. And there will be total and complete joy in the fullness of your presence. We long for that day, God. But help us to be a people that wait faithfully. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing together?